everyone should be able to give like Gates, get taxed like Buffett, and get recognized like Rockefeller. That is the voice of Jake Wood, the founder of Groundswell, with a mission to revolutionize philanthropy. They are doing that through a combination of technology and donor-advised funds. And by the way, do you know what a donor-advised fund is? Who can contribute? Is it only for the wealthy? Are there limitations to DAFs? All of those questions and more will be answered with Jake Wood coming up next here on CFO Bookshelf. A few weeks ago, I was doing some research on donor-advised funds, and I'll use the word limiting to describe my search. I did ask a few CEOs, do you know what a DAF is? Same answer. Say what? So I came across Groundswell and I read every single page. I read every blog post, everything. And I'm thinking, this is too good to be true. So I hope you find this conversation as fascinating as I did. And by the way, here is the Reader's Digest version on donor advised funds. Think really, really big private foundation that you and I, you and I can create with as little as $1. So when Jake and I hit record, or I should say when I hit record, my first comment, what a great device for giving to others. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad you see it that way. I, I, uh, it took me a long time, even having worked in philanthropy for as long as I did, to really understand the power of, of donor-advised funds. And as you said, when compared to uh, starting your own private foundation, I don't know why anyone on the planet would opt for creating their own foundation versus opening just a donor-advised fund. What, real quickly, Jake, what's the history behind DAFs? By the way, in the hallway, when you're talking shop, do you all say DAFs or DAFs for short? What's the term? Yeah, yeah we definitely call it DAF, call it a DAF or DAFs okay. uh, collectively. You know, the DAFs uh, kind of their origin started almost a hundred years ago. Um, small community foundations would allow uh, local uh, wealthy local. Uh, residents to basically store funds inside those local community foundations and retain these advisory privileges over them. But there was, you know, they were not regulated. It was kind of an informal arrangement between that community foundation and that that local uh, wealthy resident. Uh, in the 90s, they began to gain more popularity. They weren't technically codified in the tax code until actually 2006. So they were, I think, kind of an unregulated, a little bit of the Wild West um, as a tool. Now, obviously, you know, many folks who have registered investment advisors or um, certainly many companies that are looking for alternatives to corporate foundations have discovered donor advised funds and they have been skyrocketing in popularity over the last 10 or 15 years. I'm also curious, if I may ask, now you have a background, you were behind and still behind Team Rubicon. And I'm curious, how did you get interested in this space? What led you to, to create Groundswell? Well, when I was running Team Rubicon, I, I developed, obviously, a pretty deep understanding of philanthropy. We raised, you know, over the lifetime of that organization, we've raised almost $400 million in philanthropy. So uh, raised a lot of money from individuals and a lot of money from corporations and, you know, started to first see, uh, you know, 
experienced donor advised funds raising money for 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 Team Rubicon because we get these checks from Fidelity and Schwab, and they were you know at the recommendation of you know some some family fund, family charitable fund, and so that was really my first experience with with donor advised funds. But I think a, a few things. One, it always bothered me that only wealthy people had access to these tools, right? You know, up until recently, if you had your your stock portfolio with Fidelity or Schwab or Morgan Stanley, you you had to be willing to, to deposit $10,000, $20,000 to open up a donor advised fund. And that's obviously a pretty inaccessible amount to the vast majority of Americans. And so it drove me nuts that, you know, someone who was donating $100 to Team Rubicon out of their social security check every month didn't have access to the same tax advantaged resources that high net worth people did. The second thing was I interacted a lot with employee giving programs in running Team Rubicon. You know, we'd, we'd raise money from major corporations where those employees would donate us money and the employee would then match those contributions. But frankly, the, the platforms that were out there that were automating that were just kind of abysmal. And we wouldn't get those checks, the matching checks for 180 days after the employee made the contribution. And so as I was thinking about what the next step would be for me, I knew I wanted to start a new company. I knew I wanted that company to have some purpose beyond just making profit. And this idea of democratizing philanthropy, specifically providing normal people like you and me with the same tools that ultra rich people use for their philanthropy. And then Taking that and and basically using that as a foundation for a better corporate giving experience uh, was the inspiration for Groundswell. It's a great story. I want the world to know about donor advised funds. So if you don't mind, this may be a little boring to you, but can <laughs> I hit some of the just the nuts and bolts? These are the questions I have. And as a CFO, if I have them, I think CEOs will probably have them. Number one, who can start a DAF? I mean, who? Yeah, so so technically, anyone can start a donor advised fund. You know, a person or a corporation, even a person. Um, fact, I'm sorry, even a person. Oh yeah, I mean, they they started as, as really as individual um, accounts, and, and the vast majority of donor advised funds in the U.S. are actually personal DAFs. Um, and so when I talk about you know democratizing philanthropy as part of our mission, we've built the world's most modern and affordable DAF that anybody can go and create a donor advised fund in under 60 seconds. But we've also provided companies with the most modern and inclusive corporate version of this as well. So that's important for people to note. It's a tax advantaged giving vehicle that anyone or entity can use for philanthropy. So it's not just a corporation. It can be a sole proprietorship, a partnership. So I was thinking in my head, only maybe a C-Corp could do this. But what a, what no. a phenomenal answer. And what's, what's the initial outlay? Do you need like some number, five figures or small number, big number? Well, I, and, you know, I think that's a it's a great question because it tees up how special what we're doing at Groundswell is. You know, again, up until about a year, maybe two years ago, you couldn't get a donor advised fund opened for less than ten to twenty thousand dollars, which uh, is in an okay. Initial contribution. Okay. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so, and, and and that's not in fees. That's in a in a in right. an initial contribution right. to open it. And again, like most 
most people can't afford that. Most companies, you know, a sole proprietorship can't afford that. A small uh, limited partnership can't afford that. So uh, our minimum contribution is $1. $1? You can open a donor advice fund on grounds for for $1. I I love your firm. (laughs) This this is great. Uh, More nuts and bolts questions. Uh, Money in. Uh, money out. Now you say it takes $1 to get started. Is there, are there limits as to what you can put in? I already know one of the the answers. Talk to your tax advisor. They're going to be, you're probably going to be limited or you can probably put more in. You just won't get the full deduction, tax deduction. But in terms of your framework, limitations of putting money in. So, uh, you know, again, minimum contribution into the platform is $1. You can make a $1 bank transfer, uh, credit card contribution. Um, there's no limit. And in fact, you know, we've taken million dollar contributions. We've accepted stock. That's one of the advantages of donor advised funds is you can actually donate stock into uh, your account. And, and you know, as a CFO, you'll appreciate this. And I'm sure your audience will appreciate this. If you're sitting on low cost basis stock and you have massive capital appreciation um, in order to what most people don't realize is that you can donate that appreciated asset into a donor advised fund, take the full market value of that appreciated asset as a write-off and not pay any capital gains taxes on it. And so that's how wealthy people donate. Wealthy people don't donate cash. They donate assets. It's very hard for the average person to do that. And many smaller nonprofits can't facilitate it. So donor advised funds serve as this really incredible intermediary that allows you to optimize your tax bill. And this is where you have the opportunity to see some massive contributions. Think about a, you know, a, a late stage technology company that you, know, you have founders with you know, penny par value stock in a company that's now worth $5 billion dollars. Yeah, they can transfer that stock, reduce their tax bill by hundreds of millions of dollars, and then have that money set aside without having paid any capital gains taxes on it to give to charity. Who can the money be paid out to? Can it only be to a non-profit? Yeah, so so it's important to note that when you make a contribution into your donor advised fund, it's an irrevocable contribution to the uh, custodial charity that holds that DAF. So you can't claw the money back if you suddenly have a you know a car payment you got to make. The money is irrevocably contributed uh, committed into that um, that 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 public charity. From there, the money can be distributed via a grant recommendation to any tax-exempt entity that qualifies under the IRS tax code. So what most people consider is what you started to stumble through, which is a 501c3, which is the IRS tax code for a public charity. Those are all eligible for DAF distributions. Um, Other tax-exempt organizations that are eligible are things like houses of worship. So things like churches, mosques, and synagogues are inherently tax exempt, but they often don't get a 501c3 uh, ruling from the IRS. Things like PTA, so parent-teacher associations within public schools, are also tax exempt and very common as a recommended uh, distribution within DAFs. Now, the most important exclusion is uh, probably you cannot donate to political uh, campaigns via a donor advised fund. So you can you can contribute to political organizations, for example, a think tank that is a 501c3 that might have a conservative or progressive leaning, but you could not donate to a presidential campaign or a congressional campaign via the platform. Mary makes $40,000 a year. She's beloved in the organization, single mom, 
three kids. She's a marketing manager, but her house is burned down. Mary doesn't have a big support group other than her employees. Just to delineate, this is not a hardship fund. So you cannot use this as a hardship fund for your own employees in situations like that. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. You would not be able to donate to Mary directly in via, like you called it a hardship fund, employee emergency assistance right. fund. Right. If Mary were to go find uh, you know, a local Habitat for Humanity chapter who committed to rebuilding her home, you could donate to the Habitat for Humanity, um, you know, for the purposes of assisting Mary. But, you know, that would have to be worked out with, you know, the, a, a, a directly qualifying organization. Good. OK, great point. Great clarification. As I did my homework on these, I found some analogies. These are very similar to 401k plans. I did not know this until I was prepping for this. I take it that even each employee can have their own little fund where there's a matching component. Can, can you kind of fill in the details to that? Well, and that's one of the things that Groundswell has pioneered. So historically, donor-advised funds were uh, basically just individual accounts, right? You know, if you were a high earner, um, you might work for a company, and that company might have a donor-advised fund, a corporate DAF, uh, the ACME fund, but you as, a, as an employee of that, you might go independent of your company and go get a donor advised fund through your wealth manager or your stockbroker. What we've done is built a platform that we sell to companies as an employee benefit platform. So Acme now buys a Groundswell license and via Groundswell's platform provides a donor advised fund to each of the employees. And then what is what we allow is for that company to then either directly deposit charitable dollars into those accounts or match charitable dollars into those accounts like a 401k or an HSA, a health savings account. Uh, now, I, I think it's a really great analogy because both of those vehicles, a 401k or an HSA, they're tax advantaged vehicles. I think the analogy falls a little short in that 401ks and HSAs by way of the tax code, those contributions into those accounts are pre-payroll tax. And you cannot make a pre-payroll tax contribution into a donor-advised fund. That's that's the only distinction that I would draw. Beyond that, this ability to, to match charitable dollars into an employee giving account is really powerful considering just how charitable Americans are in this country. It's a really great opportunity to subsidize, uh, for some people, a non-insignificant uh, line item in their household budget. And by the way, I, I hope I'm not sounding too idealistic. And of course, I know you're going to be nodding your head, but I hope that would not be a put off or a turn off because hopefully companies are jumping on these because of, well, it's all about giving. It's not necessarily about the, the tax benefit. To me, that's icing on the cake. One more thing about the analogy with, with MSAs, HSAs, what I find fascinating about this is I thought once you put the money in, it had to go out pretty quickly. But like a like a, a managed savings account, you put it in, get the deduction, but it can probably sit there for however long until you find that next gift. You know, I, I just, Jake, that's amazing. Yeah, well, you know, listen, I think again, it's it's um it's it's how wealthy people have been giving for a long time. And there's a lot of reasons why someone may make a contribution into their DAF today 
and not send it to charity right away. For example, they might have a windfall bonus that they get in one year. They want to reduce the taxes for that year. So they they make a large contribution, but they want to come up with a longer term strategy for their giving afterward. Donor advice funds allow for that. I talked about the the founder who's going public with, you know, a hundred million dollars in equity. Another great example. But, you know, even for a for a modest earner, you might be someone who, you know, makes a decent living but isn't lighting the world on fire. But you want to do something really special. You wanna you wanna save up and make a ten thousand dollar donation to your I don't know, local high school that you went to, you know, to, to endow a scholarship for low income kids. You know, if, if you're just a modest earner, it's probably hard to cut a $10,000 check in any one year. But if you need to save up over three years to do that, a donor advised fund would allow you to do it. Great idea. Great idea. We mentioned private foundations a few minutes ago. In my W-2 life, I've worked in two organizations that had private foundations. And God forbid, I mean, I can't believe it. I mean, the staff, full-time controller, um, auditing fees, uh, some other advisors. And, and it's like, boy, there's, there's 20% of your intake going toward overhead. So even though we, we've made some analogies with some other tools, there, this is like black and white, uh, DAFs and private foundations. Not really a question, but... I'm just thinking, if you're thinking about a private foundation, why? <laughs> I'd do this instead. I mean, technically, there is more control of uh, for the principles involved in a, in a private foundation. I think that, you know, the rule of thumb varies a little bit. But the one I hear most often cited is unless you have $50 million that you're going to put into that private foundation as, uh, you know, your initial principal balance, it just does not make sense to do it in that manner. Now, maybe the number's 20 million, maybe it's 50, maybe it's 100 million. I don't know. I don't know too many people who, who are facing that decision point. So let's just say that anything below $20 million, you should be using a donor advised fund. If you got more than that, God bless you. Good point. Uh, this may be an unfair question, but I'm going to try. And if you say pass, completely okay, we'll move on. Heck, we'd even cut this out if we want. Obviously, confidentiality reigns. But can you think of any success stories that have almost, almost have blown you away because of the increased employee engagement as a result of a company saying yes to a donor advised fund? Anything off the top of your head? Yeah, I think there's there's two stories that I would make mention of. One is one of our larger customers is a you may have even heard of them. It's a it's a accounting and tax advisory firm called Whipley LLP, based out of the Midwest. Um, top twenty, right. at, you know, uh, accounting tax advisory firm, and uh, they rolled out Groundswell to their twenty five hundred associates. Um, and as part of that launch program, every associate got their own DAF. Every associate had one hundred and fifty dollars placed free and clear into that DAF, and then every associate was matched up to five hundred dollars into the DAF. And it was really remarkable because within, you know, I think about two weeks of launch, about a thousand associates had participated. And you would think that, oh, you know, of a thousand associates, they're probably supporting maybe 100, 200 different charities. The reality is, you know, people are so diverse in what they care about that of the thousand people that participated, there was nearly 800 different charities that they were supporting. 
So it just is like such an amazing indicator of how wide the perspective is in your people for what matters most to them. And, you know, Whitfley's executives got all this data back on, hey, here's what your people actually care about, right? And, and I think that's really, really powerful. The other example I'd use is a much smaller company, a company out of Florida called FOH, Front of House. And, uh, you know, they're, they're in the service industry and uh, I think a couple hundred employees. And they rolled this out and, and they were, they've been really great about driving adoption, you know, really trying to build this into the culture of the company. And, and that's easier to do when you're a smaller company. But I think they were surprised about that data that they were getting back. You know, I think that they had historically focused as a as a company on issues like the environment. But as the data started to come back about what their people cared about, they realized that there was a large portion of their population that were supporting LGBTQ causes. And it forced them to rethink like, okay, there's there's something here about what matters to our employees that we need to like dive deeper on and consider how we evaluate the strategic uh, philanthropy initiatives of the of the firm. So I just think, you know, compelling evidence that, you know, this is an opportunity to learn more about your people uh, while also empowering them financially with a really powerful tool. Donor advised funds is a win, win, win. It's, and by the way, I'm okay with saying it's a win for Groundswell. By, by the way, I love, I'm going to be a, an, an ambassador to your organization behind your back. I don't care what you say. I, <laughs> I, I love Groundswell and what I'm hearing. It's a win for the donors, but, and this is where it may be more important, it's a win for the people who are receiving these gifts. So the same question, again, confidentiality, can you think of some really some cool stories that you've heard about or maybe they would have never have received some of this funding without this tool. I'm not sure I can come up with any, um, any one story in particular, but I, I would just maybe um, revert back to my prior experience running a nonprofit. So, you know, when I was running team Rubicon, you know, we responded to disasters. That was our, our, our mission. And, you know, a hurricane might hit, a tornado might hit, and we'd begin planning. And we'd use early indicators for kind of early um, online donation volume and such to, to try to project what our total money raised for that event would be. And then we would make our operational plans based off of that money that we projected. And one of the things that was immensely frustrating is, 180 days after that disaster struck, we'd be getting these matching checks in from these companies. And, you know, six months after the fact, um, it's not very helpful. Like it's, you're still going to take the money, but maybe the operation's already concluded. Now you got to find a way to honor that donor intent. And I just knew that there was a better way. And so what I, one of the things I'm really proud of is that because we're making that match into that employee DAF, when they choose to send that money to a nonprofit, they're getting all the cash flow immediately. There's no six month lag in getting the second half of that match. And so I'm just, you know, I'm always trying to put on my nonprofit executive hat and say, hey, what's best for the charities that are out there doing the work? Because that's ultimately who we're serving. Great point. Last question. I've watched your TEDx talk. It's brief, it's concise, and I got goosebumps. I don't mind admitting that. I'm not embarrassed to say that, sir. If you were doing a TEDx talk today about donor advice funds, I'm just curious. I'm being nosy. What would your message be? Because I have a feeling it would be as good as the one you did 
that I'm talking about. Well, I, I think the, the 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 premise of the message would be that the problems facing our communities are accelerating, and I think we, as a society, have to accelerate the solutions that we're we're pursuing and funding uh, to 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 address those challenges. And I, I think when I look at the landscape, uh, individual and corporate philanthropy have a big role to play. And you know, we 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 kind of had this tagline early in Groundswell where we think. Everyone should be able to give like Gates, get taxed like Buffett, and get recognized like Rockefeller. And I think that might be the, the foundation of a talk. That's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. Jake, I, at the risk of sounding old, I am so proud of you, your entire team, and uh, thank you for this conversation. Well, Mark, I appreciate you having me on to share the share the word. I encourage any of your listeners out there to to go download Groundswell, create at least an individual DAF. And uh, if you're running a company, um, let's chat. Um, would love to help you engage your employees in finding solutions to the world's most pressing problems. You are listening to CFO Bookshelf, lifelong learning for financial leaders. And now back to our host, Mark Gandy. By the way, just a bit off topic, he did mention this, but if you have time, do a search on Jake Wood TEDx. Again, Jake Wood TEDx and his talk, you'll find out it's short, it's on point. I think it's less than five minutes. And and no, I'm not going to spoil it for you. I'm not even going to tell you what it's about. Uh, We hinted about it, but guys, it is good, really good. And by the way, if you want to learn more, uh, about his organization, check out groundswell.io. And again, if your company wants to set up a DAF, obviously touch base with your CPA, especially larger firms. I'm pretty certain they're going to know uh, what they are. We need to call this a wrap. I'm Mark Gandy for CFO Bookshelf. Mm-hmm.